0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Science Unscripted. It is Connor here. And Gabe. And we are going to start here with an email that we received that I I really liked. I thought it was well-written, well-thought-out. I'd kind of like to meet the person behind it. His name is Robert. And Robert wrote in to us, hey, thanks for your program. Um, I was interested to hear your discussion of people's low estimation of their intellectual or knowledge capabilities. I believe he was referencing, Gabe, um, why
1: people listen to podcasts. Mm. No, I, I think it was the interview that we did a while back. It was about why you can't gauge or why your partner can't gauge how good you are at things. And it, then it turned, it turned into a, 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 a talk between you and me about why we can't even gauge our own selves. Yeah,
0: whether we're ever going to be able to uh, be able to assess that. Yeah. And then also, yeah, ultimately, again, the conclusion there that if you are considering an endeavor... Talk to somebody in that field probably is the best idea. Yeah. An acquaintance, maybe even better than a friend. Yeah. Um, that there, if you're, whether you're going to start a new business or start a new hobby, that that's probably the best advice. Anyway, mm. so one thing uh, Robert expected to hear but didn't was a reference to the Dunning-Kruger effect. And for those of you out there who don't know the Dunning-Kruger effect, it's, it's one of those studies that is referenced a lot. Mm. and has become a part of pop culture, pop science. And um, I'll get into... Uh, the description of it that makes me smile. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is this. People basically tend to hold overly favorable views of their abilities in many social and intellectual domains. The authors suggest, and this was Dunning and Kruger, that this overestimation occurs in part because people who are unskilled in these domains suffer a dual burden. Not only do these people reach erroneous conclusions and make unfortunate choices, mm-hmm. but their incompetence robs <laughs> them of the metacognitive ability to realize it so across four studies they they the study was from 1999 they studied, or they, they um, kind of tested them on grammar logic and other things also humor i thought that was interesting how do you test on humor and it was about how funny a joke was yeah. which is a weird thing to have in there um let's
1: take an example here so i have i have a, a low iq mm-hmm. right not only can i not understand <laughs> things or understand what is funny i in turn Think that I can because I can't understand that I can't understand. understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly, okay. and that you would consistently
0: overestimate your abilities, and this just in goes on ride. and on and so, on through life. Yeah, uh, yeah it, <clears throat> yes, it has a lot of applications. It, it's why it's referenced so much. We all kind of know a person who's who's maybe like this, yeah. and um, specifically to the numbers from that 1999 study. Um, Although, so basically, there, there, there was a decent group of people whose test scores, when they tested themselves, they were in the 12th percentile, so mm-hmm. low. Yeah. And they had predicted that they would be in the 62nd. <laughs> like, that's, that's how big <laughs> yeah. the gap was. So um, now I'm going back to Robert's email. He said, when, when I first heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect a few years ago, it was somewhat of an aha moment for me. I have three postgraduate degrees and have come to realize how little knowledge I have and also how limited I am in my intellectual capabilities. By the way, I love... Congratulations
1: on the three degrees.
0: Not just that. I was, I, what's funny is I jumped wow. to the ability to be aware of the fact that you are, are limited in your intellectual capability, realizing Meta, that's that's some pretty yeah. good metacognition. Never, yeah. Nevertheless, I have been somewhat surprised and baffled when I am confronted and corrected frequently by family members with little formal education who espouse greater intellect and knowledge than I. You can call it a hurt ego in me <laughs> if you wish. Again, all of this these re- great. really good self-reflection. Well, here's the thing, Robert, um, which I had not been aware of until your email. The Dunning-Kruger effect, which is referenced everywhere, may not actually exist in the way that we think it exists. So a couple of, of, of researchers, scientists, um, have come along years later and kind of tried to recreate what Dunning and Kruger did, but in a very different way meaning what if instead of pulling people in and having them trying to guess you know what they would be able to do and then actually showing the test results mm-hmm. we ran a computer simulation with kind of random data points to see what would happen and those model or the graph that pops out as the result of that computer simulation is very very similar to the graph that popped out from real people is this ai now that the, that it's testing or no it's a it's a it's a random <sighs> random data generate like random data points of, I'll just quote it here the let's call it the second dunning-kruger graph the one that was created by a computer yeah was created by Patrick McKnight using computer-generated results for both self-assessment and performance so again a computer's generating all this input. The numbers were random. There was no bias in the coding that would lead these fictitious students to guess they had done really well when their actual score was very low. And yet we can see the two lines look eerily similar. There's a graph here that, if you look at the original study, looks very, very similar to the study. Eerily similar to those of Dunning and Kruger's seminal experiment. Another simulation was done, same result. Uh, It's, I believe what they are trying to say, what these researchers (coughs) are saying is that Um, this needs to be looked at again. It's not necessarily that the Dunning-Kruger effect doesn't exist at all, and it may in fact be that there are misperceptions on both sides of the equation, whether you have low intelligence, high intelligence, whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, but it may not be exactly what we thought it is, Hmm. which would go back to Robert um, being happily surprised by the people who don't have all of these degrees, who are still actually quite aware of what they know or don't know or... um,
1: kind of are surprising him at the dinner table. Mm. Yeah, so what's the conclusion that we're not as stupid as we I guess science says. Well, I think that we thought. you have
0: don't don't take one study and absolutely yeah. run with it because what did, what did that study do? You you go in there as a study participant and you what what's, what test is this? It's on humor. I don't know. I think I'll do good. Mm-hmm. And then you don't do good. Is that real, like real life? Or is real life more like a series of tests where you constantly get, get feedback yeah. and become aware of how good you are or aren't? Final thing I'll quote here from this email. Uh, he writes, I was prompted a few years ago in frustration to display on a blackboard a statement by Goethe. This is one of Germany's famous, um, most famous authors, writer, poet. I mean, he did a lot of things. And the quote is, we know accurately when we know little. With knowledge... Doubt increases. Hmm. Uh, anyway, just a thought. Thanks for your good and fun work. Thank you, Robert, for the email and for yeah. uh, uh, f- kind of forcing me because I I had taken that one that Dunning Kruger effect as as a as a fact. It's too funny.
1: It, it, we we all <laughs> we've all experienced that. And I'm sorry if you're quoting Goethe in, in in any email, Robert. I mean you you you've made it <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are we doing next, Gunnar? Um, you I believe.
0: Uh, <sighs> You were talking about uh, partners being attracted to each other or not based on,
1: based on what, housework? Okay, yeah, yeah. That's, we're going to talk about snakes in a little bit. But this one is um, a survey of 706 women in the U.S. and Europe. And 706 women who have been living for at least six months with a man and have children you you you're describing both of our situations plural yes yes and and what what uh, the researchers were interested in uh, with these women was a decline in sexual desire why they reported a decline in sexual desire and what was going on and what they found out um and this is pretty clear is that their partners weren't doing as much household chores as they were so they're boyfriends or husbands weren't helping out doing the dishes, vacuuming, you know, mowing the lawn, what have you. And that was the reason for the decline in sexual desire. And then they looked into why exactly that was. What what are the origins for the decline in sexual desire? Not only um just sorry, not no, just the inequality when it comes to household So tours. they they would have
0: had if you're looking at 700 and, 700 and something. Mhm couples, and specifically at the, at the, uh, the woman in this case, mm-hmm. um, they would have had to have established correlation, right? Because of those 700, yeah. maybe for a, a small
1: group, their sexual desire has right. not decreased at all. So they were, yeah, exactly. They were initially found by uh, probably therapists. So they had spoken about this decline to therapists, and okay. then they were okay. used in this study, and, that, and that's how they found them. So okay. it, it must have been taken from a much greater pool. Because so they all were...
0: of them, all of them had a, this a similar decline in sexual desire yes. for their and then they were assessed. Their, their sexual okay. desire
1: was assessed using the Hurlbert index. I never knew about this. You can I actually have... assess your sexual desire. You
0: didn't know about the Hurlbert. With I don't, I don't even Hurl- know how to pronounce index.
1: that index. And they were also asked to complete a survey on what household tasks they, tasks they do. So 109 different chores. Who does them? Do you do them, or does your male partner do them? And the common den- denominator, again, is that when there was a significant de- decrease in sexual desire, it was because there was inequality in the household. But what they were looking at was why. And um, it's not just the inequality that was uh, yielding the decrease in sexual desire. It was that they perceived their partner as dependent on them. Oh, That was in the end the reason. So what that means is that they're, they've got a, a, a grown child
0: to deal in with in their household right to, uh, to clean up after yeah. in addition th- to all there of it. is a
1: theory that this goes back to it's called the heteronormativity theory is that when the relationship is blurred when there's a blurring between am, am I together with a an adult man or with a child is is this my am I this am I this man's mother or his wife when that blurs that is results in a decrease in sexual desire. Because when you, when you are dealing with your child, it's not conducive to sexual desire, obviously. But this has never been studied. This, now we know from this survey, at least, 706 women, that that is what's going on. When there is a decline in sexual desire and you're living together with a man, it's highly likely that he's not doing enough in, in the household. And uh, by the way,
0: for everyone out there, not just uh, not not just men, since this ha- happens to be about men who aren't doing their fair share at mm-hmm. home. Yeah. Uh, one word that I've seen thrown around the, around the internet quite a bit recently, which taps into this whole discussion, is the idea of chore play. Chore play. Chore play. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, well. The the idea. No. Yeah. The idea that uh, by engaging by doing some of these activities that basically you should be doing anyway, you're creating the landscape for future romance by relieving stress, making the partner happier. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who's doing it. Yeah. Um, and how
1: much time is there between the, the chore play and, and the, could be, the, the consummation?
0: Could be <laughs> weeks. No, it's, it's uh, actually, and I think part of the reason I think that's a very, very, very useful term is I'm not sure there's a better way to make the act of doing chores Sound sexier, or to, 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 to generate more—I don't know—motivation uh, to do it. Yeah. I mean, who likes who likes doing it? You, you can put music on. I I I, I bounce the walls off some, my house. Some very
1: white, I guess.
0: No, well, you don't. It doesn't literally have to be romantic. I, but there are ways to yeah to make those activities less um, uh, less painful. And uh, obviously you don't want those activities to be attached to a feeling of resentment the whole time you're doing them because they're, they're awful enough anyway. But if you can kind of repackage them, spin them <laughs> as an activity that, that leads to,
1: to, to an act of joy, then all the better. All right. Before we go here real quick, uh, I said I w- we were going to speak about snakes before. And scientists, or at least one scientist, no scientists in Adelaide and Australia, have found the clitoris on... Female snakes.
0: This <laughs> is not. Ju- this is not because no, it leads to. No, an I, I, I just. Discussion. I don't. I don't think. I don't think anyone wants to. Know about that? There, there, there. I, I would, I would like. N- I beg to differ. Hold on, hold Connor. on. There are studies that have clearly shown that certain groups of animals. Yeah. Are vastly under researched Under research. Because p- human beings don't. Like those animals, we kind of hate them. And actually, this was never more relevant when I first came across that research. Mm-hmm. Let's say this was 2018, and number one on the list was not snakes but bats. bats. And as all of us know, um, having gone We're through a scary. gone through a pandemic that. More research on bats who have incredibly strong immune systems and who are very capable of, of, of starting new pandemics need to be re- researched more. So, yeah, that takes me back to you and a snake. And
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I found this in the New York Times. Can I just quote the New York Times at the beginning of the article? Because it's just, just, it's just a great article uh, written, by the way, by Alex Fox. Quote, you've probably seen a snake's forked tongue, but it's not the slithering animal's only forked body part. Male snakes sport forked genitals called hemipenes that look a bit like pink cactuses and often have spines to match. What's good enough for him is good enough for her in the suborder Serpentis. In a paper published Wednesday in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B, scientists provide the first proper scientific description of the hemiclitoris, or a bifurcated clitoris in female snakes. And he goes on to talk in his article about how this is under-researched, like you said, uh... Nobody cared about this for ever until now, until um, this is Megan Fulwell down in Adelaide, Australia. Mm-hmm. She discovered this on the female death adder. Mm-hmm. She found this little hook on the snake as she was cleaning away some of the uh, scales. And then she went and looked at a number of other kinds of snake and found the cl- the clitoris on eight different females of other species of snake. And I, I just found it interesting, not, not only because it's, cause it's interesting, but also what it says about, you know, what, what, what scientists look at. Well, yeah. This goes back to Darwin. Darwin was talking about when describing animals and especially female animals and their sexual behavior is that females were coy and passive participants in sexual selection. So this is not only the animal kingdom here. I mean, this (laughs) a lot is changing
0: right now. Side note, but in that time period, that's why I love reading some of those exploratory discovery trip journals, because you were allowed back then to apply adjectives to animals in a way that that never happens. The slothful, lazy, (laughs) uh, enter the name of an animal... (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's not lazy. It has a different metabolism and X, Y, and Z. Yeah. No, um, yeah, under researched, fascinating. I'm I'm left wondering bifurcated
1: why, but let's not even get into that. It it yeah. Well, that's one thing that has not been tested now. So they've they've seen this part. They've seen that the clitoris looks different uh, depending on what species of of female snake. So what they need to test now is whether. Whether it does anything, whether yeah. whether it can be stimulated, and whether there there are nerves there, uh, and it's but, but not I, I just mean, there, there has to be. It's not just skin. They have to. Well, but that they don't know yet. So they'd, so they'd have to, I guess, hook the, you know, scan the the, skin's scan the brain. brain while they copulate. Yeah, uh, yeah. Talk about. So, so there's more strange, work to be done.
0: Strange areas of research. I mean, obviously, the default assumption I would have to think is that they're they have similar impulses or something telling parts of their body to do certain things.
1: It, right. And it there must means, be a pleasure, it means pleasure yeah, receptor. It means that snakes enjoy sex and that, that it's not coercive that male snakes don't just force their way with. Ah, uh, right? yeah. Yeah that, they yeah, enjoy, yeah. that they enjoy it and that there's a, a an evolutionary reason for the clitoris there. Mm, yeah. Well, some,
0: thank you. Kind you. of, yeah. Kind of mix of, of highbrow, lowbrow. Um, Darwin <laughs> popping up on stage. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe yeah. appearing in an email. Um, yeah, we'll, I guess, leave it there. <laughs> if you have any questions uh, that we have not answered or that you would like us to answer to go on a totally different adventure, su at dw.com. Science unscripted.